Hey guys, this is Ruben Langdon, a.k.a. Dante from Devil May Cry, a.k.a. Ken Masters from Street Fighter, and also Chris Redfield from the Resident Evil series. And you are listening to the Casanova Podcast, the number one podcast in Hawaii. Jackpot. The Casanova Podcast, the number one podcast in Hawaii, is brought to you by these contributors on Patreon. If you'd like to see more content like this more often, as well as more podcasts, reviews, impressions, early access releases, live streams, and original content, then consider becoming a patron today. And welcome everyone to another episode of Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova Podcast. I'm your host, Mikhail Casanova, coming at you with another phenomenal interview. And in today's episode, I've got the true honor and privilege of having the one and only Kathy of Capcom US. And she is the area sales manager for Capcom US. And we're going to talk about her journey and the video games industry, gaming, and so much more as well as the importance of having business cards and your social media presence as a influencer and content creator. So if you're ready to do it, I'm ready to do it. Let's go ahead and welcome Kathy onto the show. All right, and welcome everyone to another episode of Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova podcast. I'm your host, Mikhail Casanova, and we are honored and privileged to today be able to interview one only Kathy Capcom. Kathy, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Kathy Dongo and I'm currently the area sales manager at Capcom. And I'm here with Mikel to talk about the business side of the video game industry. Since I've been on that side for about the last whew, 20 years now. Um, not a side of the, the industry that most people talk about. I think when people talk about the industry, the first sort of jobs and functions that come to mind have to do with game development. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to be on your podcast to talk about the business side. Awesome, awesome. And isn't it crazy to think that like 20 years doesn't feel like it's that long ago? <laughs> when I look back, especially in preparation for this interview, I just laughed. 20 years. You know, I started when the PS2 launched. It's crazy, but I've loved every minute of it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, you know, when I, I think back to the launch of the PS2 and then like the Dreamcast and I go back further, I'm like, oh, the N64, the Saturn, the original PlayStation and Atari. Yeah. You know, you, you go back and you just think about it. It's like, was it that long ago? <laughs> it is. It's like we're at the end of one generation now. We're about to go into the next. And it's like, you know, when I see all these sales and, and, you know, greatest hits or the you know however they they label them for each console i'm thinking like man has it been that long that this generation has been out that we're about to go into the next it's it is it's crazy (laughs) it's crazy to think at capcom we celebrated i think it was the 30th anniversary of street fighter and mega man and i was blown away because i remember spending my quarters at the local restaurants 
playing these games or playing Street Fighter in particular on a, on a cabinet. Right? It's like, man, it, <laughs> it, it's got to be surreal for you. Like, you know, like, like you know, like you just said, like you, you spent your course playing it back in the day and then now you're working for the company that produces it and creates it. It's like, it, I mean, did you ever think before that you would ever see yourself like, oh, I met the company of the game I enjoyed? You know, it's got to be crazy. <laughs> you know, I never thought of it because, again, when people talk about working in the industry, the first thing that pops up is game development. And so mm-hmm. as I grew up, I didn't know that these other jobs existed in the industry. So I didn't aspire to them until I, until I was much later in my 20s. Mm-hmm. That's why the last couple of years i spent my time mentoring um people have reached out to me to talk about my background i joined panels you know i'm doing this podcast because i want to get the word out there about all the different jobs that are out there so when people are thinking about moving into this industry they're not just thinking that they have to go down the game development path which is great there are other opportunities as well yeah you know and, and i was actually talking to uh i was interviewing a video game developer uh yesterday and one of the things like we were talking about is how you know back in the day for a lot of us the idea of getting into the game industry there was no clear-cut path you know and and you and i we we spoke about that too you know it's one of those things where as you know the industry has become more mainstream and it's at the point now where it is like now there are multiple ways you don't have to just develop the game you can be on the pr side of it you can be on the sales side of it you can be on the analytics side of it. Like there's so many different avenues into the industry now that, you know, it's like pick your choice. <laughs> you know, how do you wanna go about it? So it's... now with the internet, you can really connect with anyone at any one of those jobs for mentoring or advice or just to help get a foot in the door, because that always helps. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely a different different way to get in this this time. Definitely, definitely. Well but it, you know, I, I I want to ask you like, how can people find you on social media? I know you've got the you got the the the, the sheet with all the information. There you go. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> and oh. so I truly enjoy connecting with people on social media. It's it, I've had some of the best conversations and you know agreements to disagree and all that stuff. So you know, feel free to connect with me on any one of those channels happy to do it awesome 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 and um can we let's delve into like um you know your your history with the industry like where you're at currently now with capcom and and your journey there like i when we okay so the audience you guys need to understand we we did this recording a couple of days ago (laughs) on my end all my software just decided not to work so i i again kathy i am so sorry that we're having to redo this but i you know there were so many gems i love the conversation i love the way we went with the talk and it's like if you don't mind if we can go back over that again (laughs) totally okay so my background is on the e-commerce side for about half half of my time and then on the other half has been at the publisher level and so um, I've had, uh, the beginning of my career has been on the retail side of working for buy.com as the video game category manager and merchandiser. Then I moved into Amazon where I was the buyer 
am the category manager for video games. In fact, I helped them launch the U.S. Uh, games business in 2006, maybe 2007. Mm-hmm. And then from there, that's where my publisher career began. I went to Nintendo for seven years, and then now I'm at Capcom, where I'm starting my, I'm in the middle of my third year. Oh, awesome, awesome. And it's like, you know, with the the way you progress from one to the next, like, what are some of the, you know, the skills that you picked up along the way or, or the areas that you were able to, you know, dive into and just flourish? So my career started at Buy.com. They did not have anyone specifically managing video games or music at the time. And so they wanted to bring on somebody who could own that category and grow it. Mm-hmm. Vice president of entertainment. And so uh, when they had this huge layoff, uh, I was one of the people who stayed. And so um, he decided to take me under his wing during that time, make me the category manager for video games and music, and gave me the opportunity to grow it. So what does that mean? Most people go, well, okay, sure, you're the category manager, but what what exactly were you doing? Mm-hmm. And so as a category manager, your first role was to determine what uh, what products you bring in, how do customers find that product? So, you know, what does your website front page look like? You know, how do you dive into that? Um, and then working with the publishers to bring on exclusive products, work on advertising campaigns to make sure their product is promoted, and then making sure all of those are done profitably for the business. Yeah. So uh, focus on the, the big game, um, what, what's low-hanging fruit, What's the ROI for all of these activities that we're doing? So it's managing that category soup to nuts, making sure it's done properly and that customers are happy when they come to the website. Amazon retail, you know, it's very high pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they give you a lot of autonomy, but you have a lot of metrics that you need to hit. So mm-hmm. you're free to make business decisions, but you have to do them within the confines of making sure that it's profitable uh, for the company. Um, and so uh, when I started there, uh, one of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to um, expand and get more for gamers. And so uh, one of the things that happened uh, at Destination PlayStation, actually, it's one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. I was having dinner with Bethesda. Um, and, you know, after, after a business dinner, everybody kind of splits off into their groups and, you know, you just start having casual conversations. I was talking with the, the vice president of PRP. Mm-hmm. And we were doing one of those conversations where we were thinking, wouldn't it be cool if, and so we'd say like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if it's this or that? And I said, wouldn't it be cool if this was when Fallout 3 was coming out? Mm-hmm. I said, wouldn't it be cool if you guys can make a pit boy? And he looked at me and said, we actually can. We, you know, we've been putting together the schematics. We really want to do it, but it's actually going to be kind of pricey and uh, we're not sure what the appetite is for a collector's edition of some sort that's that pricey. And I said, I, I bet you there is an appetite. You know, our customers are not price sensitive. Can we explore that? Mm-hmm. And so he pulls out his notes and he starts, you know, saying like, well, we could do this, we could do that. And I pull out my napkin and my pen and I start doing ROI calculations. And in the course of that conversation, he said, you know what, we have enough time, we, we could do this. Mm-hmm. I said, 
okay, I, I want to explore this. I want this to be our exclusive. Let's do it. I was on a plane to Rockford, Maryland the following week, and that's how the Fallout 3 Vault Hunter position was born. Um, it was Amazon's oh. first exclusive in the video game category. You know, the results were amazing. Mm -hmm. and the first time that they actually got to put a real or a working tip boy in the market. It was a lot of fun. And so having that sort of autonomy at, at Amazon allowed me to do that kind of uh, product. And of course, you know, you, there are a lot of fun events and perks that you get um, being on the buying side of that. You know, I got to go behind the scenes of the first, um, I got to go behind the scenes and on the set of the first Iron Man movie. And because I'm a big Marvel girl, like that was fun. I got to sit behind Pepper Potts' desk. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then one of the highlights of my video game career to this day is I got to spend the weekend at Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> at the end, literally at the end, I got to walk around uh, um, George Lucas's house. I got to look at the Oscars, um, real life uh, uh, lightsabers. Um, I got to see Skywalker Sam. Like, oh, it was one of the most memorable weekends of, of my life. And I, I still have those pictures that I look back fondly on. I, I would love to see those pictures. That is to you. Holy yeah. crap, that is amazing. Uh, once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and you know, it's just one is opportunities like that where it's like when they're offered to you, you're like, Yeah, I'll tell you, you know? And then you look back on it, it's like, man, if I had said no <laughs> And again, that's where your reputation and your work ethic come into play because those opportunities are discretionary. They don't have to be offered to you. Mm -hmm. So if you conduct yourself professionally, doors open up. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for those opportunities that I've gotten to experience during my time. Awesome, awesome. And and um, with Nintendo, like, what's one of your um, your favorite moments or memories with Nintendo, or favorite project that you've had the opportunity to work on? Ooh, hands down launching the Nintendo eShop for 3DS. So I joined a group called Project Development mm -hmm. uh, with the, the, they pitched it to me as you would be coming on board to handle merchandising for DSi Workshop and the mm -hmm. Wii Shop. And then when I joined the team about a month later, they said, actually, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be handling the launch for Nintendo eShop for 3DS. They were about to announce the 3DS at a press conference that January, and they were going to unveil the Nintendo eShop. And so I was on board uh, to write the strategy for the launch, to write the marketing plan, um, to manage the team, and to execute it bring, it, bring it to life. And so it was a lot of fun to do that for, let's see. The launch was about six months of planning, and then I actually handled the marketing and merchandising for it for about three years, three or four years. And Nintendo, Nintendo is a well-oiled machine. They've been launching products for decades, but this was the first time that they were getting behind an actual digital service. Mm -hmm. Shop was their first um, that into e-commerce. <clears throat> and so it was a product of educating the rest of the company about it 
Mm-hmm. Went on board, supported in terms of marketing and merchandising, um, and then executing it. And we had a very, very small budget. And so we launched it. It was stressful. It was fun. And people connected, and it was great. But after a couple of weeks, we realized we need more people to connect. We had products like Nintendo Video coming um, and uh, uh, Miiverse, and so we needed more connections. And so I thought to myself, how am I going to get people aware of the eShop that weren't already on Nintendo's own channel, like their own social media and whatnot? Mm-hmm. So I thought, hmm, I need an ambassador. And this is where content creators and, and whatnot come into play. But I need an ambassador, somebody who's going to be my megaphone to talk about eShop in places where I were not there. So mm-hmm. I got online and I found a content creator named Triforce Johnson. And so I reached out to him on social media and said, hey, I'm Kathy. I manage the Nintendo eShop. Part of my job at, uh, as that manager was to uh, merchandise each of those shelves that people saw every week. Mm-hmm. eShop, sometimes it said new releases, top sellers, and then like the last 10 would have these funny names, um, you know, picks by, you know, the editors or what, what have you. Sometimes yeah, if I that was, was you. That was me. I made up all of those every week for years. And sometimes I would be funny and like during Valentine's Day, I'd have like gaming for two or single player only or, you know, something to be on theme and funny. Um, I had a shop, or I had a shelf dedicated to my own picks. Um, so I leveraged that with Triforce Johnson. I reached out to him and said, "Hey, I want to make a shelf for your picks, and I'm going to put your me on there. I'm going to label it Triforce Johnson's Top 25. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me what those top 25 are, and you'll be featured for an entire week in the Nintendo shop. Everyone will open it up and see your face." He was floored. What? I can't believe it. <laughs> but here's the catch. I, I need you to do something for me. And he said, sure, but what is it? I said, I know that you're about to go to New York Comic Con. And while you're there, I want you to open up your 3DS and show everyone what the Nintendo eShop is and how to get there. And he did it. He was my megaphone at the, at the show. And sure enough, Again, this goes into measuring your, your tactics and figuring out the RI. Connections, boop, went up. That mm-hmm. was great. We got all these new users, these new adoptions. It did exactly what we needed it to do, thanks to the help of content creators. So, again, I reached out to him because he was professional. He conducted himself well. Like He had a, a strong following. That's exactly what I needed. And you know, it worked out well. So another example of how content creators can work with each other, an example of one of the, the things I love doing the most at Nintendo, um, it was it was a great time in Nintendo. Seven years flew by. Um, it was a great time. Oh, yeah, and, and, and that really does do- delve into the, the relationship that, you know, content creators along with uh, publishers and developers can actually have together. And reach more of an audience you know it's it's a very intricate cohesion relationship too it's i you know as i've worked with the developers and companies and pr teams on with companies like 
I, you know, I've had that instance where like, Hey, Mikel, can you put out a tweet about this? Can you, you know, showcase this in your, you know, when you're streaming, people may not even be aware of. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know? And I, to me, it's, it's always been, uh, I've always taken it as an honor when a company is like wanting to work with me as a content creator. Cause it's like, you don't get that opportunity every day. You know, and if a company is reaching out to you to work with them on something that shows that you've got a lot of value and whatever you're doing is working. So my mentality is if this, this, if a led to B, how can I get a eventually to Z, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Opportunity leads to another, feeds your reputation, leads to something bigger. And it grows from there. Yeah. Just like audience shift, right? It grows, it grows, it grows. Yep, yep, yep. What is one of the other aspects of the games industry that you would say, like, the, audi- the audience or the traditional gamer wouldn't know about, like, with the exception of you know, what you've already expressed here? Like, what are some things you think uh, we could delve into this? Not too much of, like, you know, the in- inside industry trade secrets or anything like that, but. What are some aspects that we could touch on? So on the retailer side, there's there's a lot of information and data that goes into what you see when you actually come to a website. Mm-hmm. You're not arbitrarily seeing, you know, the top game there or whatnot. All of the things that are relevant and that are potentially high conversion are usually at the top or above the pole. Mm-hmm. When you first get there, Everything you see right there is called above the fold. Everything below is below the fold. And so that is a prime placement. You want the high high traffic stuff. You want things that are going to convert, um, things that have high margin. So that's usually all the stuff that you're going to see first. And it's the job of the category manager, at least it was back then, to decide what that looks like. Okay. So the category manager has to be up to date on all of the news has to know what's hot, has to understand their own product catalog, what has high margin, what doesn't. Um, and then you gotta make sure that all of the dressing looks great. So do we have all of the images from the publisher? Um, are they paying us for that spot? Mm-hmm. Pay to place in some places. Um, and then of course, do we have enough inventory to support the amount of demand that's coming in? So that's the analytical side of being a category manager or a buyer you know, working with Capcom and saying, hey, you know, I'm going to need 100,000 units of Street Fighter um, on this, you know, in-store this time period because I'm expecting X amount of traffic. So as you're looking at a website and you're having your shopping experience, there is a lot that goes into that. Not, It's not just, oh, I'm going to pick and put that game right there because I think it's cool. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. So, and, and, and that's one of the things that, like, I know we, we touched on it on the last time you and I talked about the importance of, like, pre-ordering games, because that also plays, you know, as a analytical factor, and I think a lot of people don't understand, and there's this misconception that pre-ordering is a bad thing. It's like, no, like, it, it assists with the business. It lets people know that we're actually businesses, and, and the people who are running the analytical side of the industry know that, hey, there's a demand for this product. You know, we need to put more of an emphasis on either A, promoting it, or B, just making sure there's more stock to meet the demand. 
or it's both you know it's it's just that's kind of one of the misconceptions that i i've been trying to clear up with a lot of people they're like oh don't don't pre-order it's like no no pre-order pre-order <laughs> and pre-order early if you know you're gonna buy a game please pre-order it early and let me tell you why that's important as a retailer you have to decide how much you need for a launch months in advance because it takes time for you to communicate that to the publisher so that mm -hmm. they can the appropriate amount of product. As a retailer, you don't want to have a ton of product to sit on. So accuracy for how much you need at launch is very, very important. Um, I don't want to have 100,000 units in my fulfillment center if I'm only going to have 1,000 units of demand. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of wasted space. I want to have the exact number. So as people pre-order and they pre-order early, that helps the buyer gauge how much demand they can at launch. And so if someone pre-orders within, you know, 30 days of launch, well, it's already too late to get more product in the door by that time. So as a buyer, you're kind of hoping that you have enough product to satisfy the demand. Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And so when you have an out-of-stock situation at your favorite retailer, they just did not guess enough or accurately enough for that launch. And if that buyer is off, the publisher is and if both don't run out of product, then there's a remanufacturing time. You know, you can't just order more product from Nintendo and have them deliver it. They've got to build it, and that takes time. You know, PS4, Xbox games take about three weeks from order back to the back to the retailer. Sometimes four. So I mean, there's going to be an out of stock period. So I always encourage people to pre-order and pre-order early. Yeah. And. and those collector's editions <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there's so many and, and and i think a lot of people who enjoy like collector's editions such as myself like you know we already know like hey you know you need to pre-order this and thankfully like i know for me you know i have uh people that work at different retailing companies where it's like as soon as something goes up for pre-order they're like Mikel, do you you know if you want to pre-order this you need to come here to the store and go ahead and you know, put either your five or your, your 25 or your $50 down. I'm like, okay, I'm on my way. I don't care where I'm at right now. I'll take my lunch break at work and head over. <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things. It's like there are some really nifty things that come in collector's edition. And I, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, why would you want a collector's edition? Because some of us actually love franchises and products that much. Like, oh, it, it's just one of those things. <laughs> take an example i i noticed a, a very nice title behind you called resident evil 2 right 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 <laughs> edition. so most people don't know that 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 took months to put together so you know as a publisher we try to guess what the demand is you know, mm -hmm. for, for that product so again that's where pre-orders come into play and so it's important to pre-order especially those because you know we don't want to make too much of that um and so there's always a finite number. So when people try to pre-order something like that the day before, I laugh a little bit because they don't understand. Like there is a finite number and that number gets determined months in advance. So if you really want one, you gotta be quick. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just, it's so interesting that you see, cause I, you know, I've worked on the retail side of it and people get upset that they can't just, 
oh, I can't just go in and just buy it off the shelf right then and there. I'm like, yeah, you can. You That's the whole point of uh, pre-ordering. <laughs> make it sure, make it, like you said, it's a, there's a finite amount of them. You don't want to make, like, with this collector's edition, you don't want to make, you know, a thousand of those and you only sell about ten. And then, you, you know, you're... You're, you're at a loss. Like, so what is it that you do when you've got all this? Then you're going to have to, because I've seen so many stores from Best Buy to, to GameStop where they've got too many and then they've got to, they've got to make some type of profit, you know, so they'll mark it down and like, oh, this is, what is it? I think some have, they'll do 10% off. Some will go so far as to do 50% off. And it's like, they got to move the inventory. So I, I think most people don't understand the, the, the aspect of retail of how certain things only have a certain shelf life. It's, it's interesting. I think I, I highly suggest people understand, like dive into that so they can understand how that works. And another thing people don't realize is those collector editions, editions are pretty big. They take up a lot of shelf space. So if they're sitting there, that's detrimental to the, the retailer. They could be occupying that space with something that will turn quicker. So you don't want that sitting on your shelf for that reason. Definitely. Well, what are your thoughts on um, <clears throat> the whole physical versus uh, digital? You know, I a lot of people are concerned that we're going towards a all digital future, but at the same time, I, I feel like there will always be a place for physical media. But I, you know, what's what's your thoughts on? So I really think it depends on the gamer. So for me, I grew up, you know, in the physical games world, so I have an affection for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think, so first of all, digital is coming, it's going to get bigger, but that's going to happen. But I, I agree with you. I think there will always be those people who really want that tactile, physical copy. So, you know, as long as there's that demand, there will always be, hopefully, that supply. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know you're right digital is getting bigger and if that's people's preference then let them have that if their preference is physical let them have that just give the gamer what they want exactly exactly um and i also like to ask you like what's it like in a typical day for you as the area sales manager at capcom usa like is it stressful is it fun is it all of <laughs> the above like well, what's your typical day like before I start talking about Capcom, I'll mention that you know all of the different companies that I've worked at, whether it was Buy.com, Amazon, Nintendo, Capcom, all different types of environments. Mm -hmm. you know, Buy.com was very fun and young. It was a startup. Amazon was huge, very stressful, but also very rewarding. And Nintendo, I have nothing but wonderful things to say about the Nintendo family. Loved all my time there. Everybody worked together. Wonderful. And I find that Capcom is similar to Nintendo in that we're a family, very close-knit. We refer to each other as family. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of every convention, we have a family photo. Like, it's a very close group. And so it's a very caring environment. So when I have my day-to-day, -day, it's working with people that I genuinely like working with. So as a day-to-day, -day, my role on as a area sales, area sales manager is to make sure that Capcom's products are represented at the retailers that I manage. 
are they up on their website properly? Do, we, do they have enough inventory? Is Capcom making enough inventory for them in regards to their future needs? Am I booking advertising, et cetera? So my day is number one, coming in to make sure that all of those retailers, you know, have what they need, looking for new opportunities to increase sales for for Capcom, finding new opportunities to promote it. So we have, excuse me, so coming up, like for example, on this year, we have the Capcom Cup coming up. Mm -hmm. Everyone will be talking about Street Fighter, so I want to make sure that if I want to book any advertising with retailers to make sure that game is front and center during that time. I'm doing that. And then, of course, planning ahead, um, forecasting with retailers to make sure some of our upcoming products like Mega Man, uh, DX, um, that we're forecasting their needs for launch. Mm-hmm. It's all of numbers. It's relationships. It's managing our products. Um, some of my retail customers include all of Canada, Amazon.com, and U.S. distribution. So I have a wide variety of customers. Um, and with, um, I know we delved into this before in the last time we talked, but, um, you know, we're going to switch gears over to, uh, when it comes to content creators and how imperative it is that you have, well, let's see, how should I put this? (laughs) How did I put it last time? Um, uh, the importance of social media and your presence online and the sense of how you should conduct yourself as a business and a brand, because effectively you are, you know, uh, as a content creator, but in your opinion, like how imperative would, it, would you say it is like for a content creator, especially if you're reaching out to people in the industry? So one thing that I've learned over this 20 years of the video game industry is how close knit it is. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows each other. Everyone talks to each other. It's, it's kind of like high school. Um, it's, you know, we're all in each other's business. We're friends. Some of my best friends are doing my job at other publishers. So we all are close to see each other at events. So as you're, a con- as you're thinking about yourself as a brand, as a content creator, you have to keep in mind your reputation. Mm-hmm. Not just what you say, it's how you say it. How are you presenting yourself? What reputation are you establishing for yourself by what you're doing? So, yes, it's imperative that you manage that. You are conscious of what you're doing. Because, like I said, we're a close-knit community and we all talk. So I've learned throughout my professional career that my reputation had a lot to do with my advancement. And I think that goes the same for whatever aspect of the industry you're in. So be mindful of how you conduct yourself, not just what you're saying. Yep. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't want to be as, uh, you know, as a content creator, you wouldn't want to be someone who's incredibly controversial and then wondering, oh, how come nobody wants to work with me? It's like, are you, you know, a, a magnet for a lot of heat? And no. <laughs> Uh, your opinion just remember to be respectful and you know conduct yourself professionally that's what i tell people when they're when i'm mentoring them is mm-hmm. conduct yourself professionally period um how often um do you get to work with content creators like in regards to requests uh not only for 
interviews, but if there are any requests for codes and, you know, what's the process like that? So not in my current role, but when I was at Amazon, one of the many hats that I had to wear was editor. And so I had the opportunity to work and interview with some people um, uh, during my time. And so I've learned that everyone is their own person. Mm -hmm. I found that it was a lot of fun to get to know them and understand their creative process. It was very fun. And then in turn, they understood, you know, our needs as well, like getting our name out there. Amazon is a destination for video games, et cetera. And so it was a great um, relationship to have and to understand. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, you know, when it comes to like conventions, uh, we, we, Again, we spoke about this last time, but it's like this uh, the idea, like when you're, you're going to E3, like, um, or actually when you're watching E3 as a, you know, as a fan or as a content creator, you're watching it on YouTube, you're watching it on Twitch or however you're consuming the, that event, it is so radically different watching it or actually being there than it is watching it. Cause there's so much you don't get to see so much footwork you know one of the things i absolutely love the most memorable thing for me um from e3 of this year was the monster hunter iceborne dragon that was there like that no matter where you were you know in the hall you saw that dragon from any point in the main hall and it's like that was really memorable of everything that i remember there that is the one thing that I remember and I, I don't feel like if you were just watching it online you would have gotten that type of experience from actually being there but well, what are your thoughts <laughs> so I just like I said I've been going to conventions for decades in fact I keep all of my badges <laughs> I, love, I love it so I think this year was my 14th mm -hmm. and I love it like it was my first so like you're saying, you know, the experience is so much different when you're there because you you're you feel the energy. You're, you know, getting through the halls, you know, as fast as you can and it's crowded and it's hot in some cases. But the, the energy, like there's no replicating that on on TV or on the internet. You just can't. And so I truly enjoy being there and, and experiencing it myself. One of my favorite things to do at conventions is to stand at the back of our booth and just watch people. Mm -hmm. I love watching everyone, you know, watch the Xavier Woods panel for Monster Hunter last year or the previous year, the Resident Evil 2 uh, demo stations. Like, it's fun to people watch and to experience that because it's, it's not something that you can capture online. Yeah. You know, and it, it's just... Um... I, I think if anyone ever wanted to develop a game to try and simulate that in VR, that would be incredibly awesome because it's just one of those things. If you go, uh, you know, and this is advice to the audience, if you go to E3 or really any huge convention, you know, PAX or whatever, I'd say bring some comfortable shoes because you're going to do a lot of walking. You know, I, um, I was not prepared when I went this year. Um, I wore dress shoes. Yeah. So <laughs> I paid for that at, at the end of the first day. And it's like, I, I ultimately had to go, 
was like, okay, I need to find either a Target or a Walmart. I need to go find some comfortable shoes. Have some comfortable shoes, carry some water on you or some type of hydration um, and snacks. Because like, you know, we, we spoke about before, it's uh, expensive. The food there is quite expensive. I think the closest comparison I can have that I can make is it's almost like hotel food expensive. Exactly. It's marked up. There are long lines. And sometimes you are in a rush and you don't have time for that. Yeah. So like having those snacks in your bag is very important. You know, and, and also to schedule, you know, this is one thing that I didn't learn about until much later, but you can schedule appointments with different publishers. Like if you want to, uh, if you want to test the game or if, well, not so much test the game, if you want to play the game or if you want to capture footage, because there's there are terms that you'll hear that if you're not really used to it, like I kept hearing like, oh, if you want to capture, if you want to capture, and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, oh, you want to capture game footage? I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's certain terms you're gonna hear, and um, it you know you would think that oh oh okay if if the hall opens at or if the convention opens at eleven to the public and it closes at I think six six or seven o'clock. That you'd have more than enough time to just go around and play everything no no if you if you average in that the most lines are going to make you wait anywhere from two to three hours just to you know either a see a demo such as you know some of the ones i got to see or b allow you to play for a couple of minutes then just equate that up and you're not going to have enough time and it's only what three days so you know you need to, if I may, hmm? are scheduling interviews, be mindful of which hall you're scheduling the interviews at so that you're not running around. Yeah. Put all of your meetings for South Hall together, all of your meetings for West Hall together so you're not doing the dance through the concord because um, that's going to take you at least 15 to 20 minutes to get from hall to hall. Yeah. You're losing In In... That was one of the things that I did. I was like, I have no idea. I was like, I, I have no idea where am I supposed to go? And it's like, I, I, cause I, I had, um, appointments with 2k. I had appointments with NIS America and appointments with uh, PDP and Vitrix. And I'm like, they're like, Oh yeah, I'm over here. At West hall. Oh, I'm over here in this area by South hall. And you know, I I'm, I'm someone either I need a map or I need a point of relativity to know where I'm supposed to go. They're like, oh yeah, I'm in West Hall. I'm like, okay, I'm in West Hall. What are you near? Are you by, are you, you know, are you, are you by this? Are you by that? Oh, you know, we're in South Hall. Are you by the giant dragon at Capcom's booth? When you're scheduling appointments, always ask, what's your hall number and what's your booth number? The numbers are, are from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So that way you can find, oh, okay, I'm in 2417. Okay, how to go that way. Yeah. Usually people pick like Wednesday is West Hall Day, Thursday is South Hall, and, you know, Tuesday is Kentia or however. But yeah. that's how most people break it up so that they're not running around all day. Um, how would you say, because um, it is one of the things that I – was strongly emphasizing to a lot of my content creator friends that were there with me at E3. But how would you say 
Well, how would you rate the level of importance of networking at an event like E3 or PAX? Like if you're a content creator, networking with, you know, not only other content creators, but primarily the industry. I know for me, that was imperative for me is like, I want to work with the industry. I can meet content creators at any point. I can hang out with them or I can, you know, meet them through social media. But that chance for that one-to-one interaction with the industry you don't get that every single day, but how would you say the importance of it? So smart of you to segment who you're trying to reach at those events, because you're right. You can meet those content creators anywhere. You focus on the right thing, which was the industry contact, but you don't get to see that often. And when you're networking at events like that, when I meet someone there and they're at E3, that tells me they are serious. You, know, you don't just get into E3, you can buy a pass, I get that, but mm-hmm. like the industry, if you're at E3, you're, you're pretty serious about your career in the industry. And so I feel like that is a great opportunity for you to meet other people who are serious, who, um, who can help elevate you maybe in a different manner because they're on a different side of the business. Mm-hmm. I think it's imperative that you do exactly what you just said, which is find those people that you don't get to see on a daily basis or regularly and branch out and meet them. Make that connection, you know, a month ahead of E3. Hey, I'm going to be at this party or I'm going to be at this call. Can we, you know, have a conversation? Can we sit down for coffee? Can we do whatever? Take your time. Get to know these people. Make those connections. Very, very important. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just one of those things, like, when I went to E3, like, I that was my sole mission. And I know a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, let's go play this game. Let's go play that game. And I'm just in my head, if I, you know, if I wouldn't invite it to E3 by PDP, the way I was, if I had paid 200 or so dollars to go and all I'm trying to do is play video games, I would have felt like I would have let myself down because that's a lot of money to spend to just do something that I can do in my spare time as well. It's not, you know, especially being out here, you know, from Hawaii, we don't really have that direct access to, you know, in person social media. We do because this is how we're doing this with social media. But, you know, we don't have that in person direct interaction. So for me, you know, my, my wife and I, our, our mentality was, hey, let's make connections. And, you know, a lot of the people that send us codes are there. You know, and I'm like, I want to put a face to the name. You know, I got to meet a lot of people at NIS that I work with, a lot of the people that I work with at, you know, 2K, people that I work with at Square Enix. I'm like, hey, you know, it's nice to meet you. I want to thank you so much for, for working with me, you know, sending me codes. I, I hope that my work has been great, you know, and it's met your level of expectations, you know, and that's just that's just how I am. And maybe it's because I've worked in, you know, the business industry for so long, you know, or corporate rather, but it's just that one-to-one, I think it's so, so imperative. And I I heard this, uh, well, not heard this. I saw this on social media the other day where people were saying that it's not important to have business cards anymore. I, well, whatever. I strongly disagree with that. I have business cards and I think it's super imperative. I, you know, I don't know. Well, what, what is your take? 
I consider myself a little bit old school in that regard because I believe that business cards are still important. When I get a business card, if I've met someone, I actively take notes on the back of who they are, um, what was the purpose, uh, what are the highlights that I want to remember, and I keep everyone's business cards. Sure, we can connect on social media, we can exchange contact information electronically, but at the end of the day, like I still rely on those notes because I meet hundreds of people a year. Mm -hmm. I think there's still some value in that. Yeah. Yeah. And but, like my cup? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can buy it at capcomstore.com, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like with business cards, too, like I, I've even told some people like, OK, if you're going to make a business card, it, make it stand out like you can have a traditional type of card just playing with your name on it. Like I, I kind of switched it up. I, I I when I made my business card, I made it the same way that I make my uh, my resumes. I make it stand out a little bit that way, like like on my business card, there's a picture of me. There's my title, what I do on the back of it. It has my brand name, has my podcast, has links to all of my social media, my email, my website. And, you know, a lot of people that have seen my card, they're like, oh, why did you put that on there? I'm like, so you will remember me when I give it to you. You won't be like, oh, who, who is this again? No, you don't know what I look like. It's easy for me to remember who you are and what you do. I think that's so important. Plus, there's also a level of professionalism with that that I appreciate. And like I said, that feeds into your reputation, you know, so it all helps. You can't yeah. hurt um, when it, you know, another thing like for, uh, content creators that if they would like to work with, you know, different to, to work with com companies in the industry or, or say if they want to work with Capcom, does it matter of their, their social media metrics, like their reach, their audience size, or is it more about, or primarily about the quality of their content? So I can't speak for Capcom because that's not my area, but just mm -hmm. past, I can tell you that you, thinking about you know, the content creator's metrics first is sort of cart before the horse. I think what you really need to look at first is what are you trying to accomplish with the social media uh, relationship? Is it increased followers? Is it uh, engagement? And so there are different types of creators who can fill that and just marrying the two makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. Whether they're small, whatever. Because a, a, a content creator with smaller metrics can probably get you more engagement. I, I'm just hypothetically, you know, more engagement or just as much as engagement as maybe somebody who has 100,000. Mm -hmm. They may have a lot of numbers, but the level of engagement is low. So really you got to start with what are you trying to accomplish? and then figuring out who is the best fit to get you those results. So con small, smaller content creators should not give up or feel- I like the hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> small, you know, don't let your, you know, smaller numbers uh, deter you from reaching out or thinking that you're effective because you absolutely can be. Just recognize what, who your audience is for your channel so that you can properly articulate that who are trying to work with you mm -hmm. and then just understand you know how much engagement do you have on your site so again that's something you can have the conversation 
you can speak intelligently about who your audience is, you'll find better fits for partnership in the future. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's um, very imperative for content creators to even know their audience. Um, I, I've been speaking to several recently and some are like, well, you know, I, I'd like to reach out to people that are, you know, casually into gaming, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. What's your demographic? Like who, like based off of not only your metrics, but your reach and <clears throat> how do you know that you're reaching that audience like who are these people that are your audience and how do you know that your message is getting out to them and you know that's the one thing about being a content creator is it's so multifaceted you know you are your 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 own pr your your editor your your videographer your you know <laughs> there, there's you're you're wearing so many hats and you know, it is very imperative to understand what you're trying to do, who you're trying to reach, because if a company you're going to, and I've run into this many times, if you're working with a company, they'd like to know like, okay, who, who is your audience? Who is your demographic? What, what are you trying to do? And how can we work be, you know, mutually and beneficially work together and, and grow together. And I, you know, it, it does help to have a bit of an idea and not just say, Hey, I'm just going to make videos and hopefully people enjoy them. No, have a plan. You're a business treat it. And, and, and I tell people, especially the ones that really want to take content creation, you know, as a full-time gig, like you got to treat it like a business. You got to be as serious about it as you would when you're clocking into your nine to five or your retail job or whatever it is. And, you know, for me, since I've gone full-time it's, Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Gotta be buttoned up. Have your elevator pitch ready. Yeah. Understand who you are, or else other people will not understand who you are. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, it, you know, and, and I've told people, you know, to, to piggyback off of what you said about the elevator pitch is if, you know, and I, I've told my wife this and I told others. If you had 10 seconds to explain to somebody, a friend, a family member, who you are and what you're doing, you've got 10 seconds, do that in the best capability that you can, you know, what is, you know, your like in my case, like what is Mikhail Casanova? What is Casanova podcast? What is it? to be a content creator. Why should the person care? That's 10 seconds. And you need to make use of every single one of those 10 seconds. <laughs> you never know who you're going to run into and how much time you'll have. Yeah. Great advice. Um, so, you know, what, what are some things, you know, this is moving away from the, the games industry, but what are some things that you enjoy outside of, you know, gaming industry and outside of you know, working for Capcom that uh, people may not be aware of like any hobbies or are you like me or you love cats and <laughs> I, I had to segue that in somehow <laughs> so I'm not saying this because we're having a conversation about video games but truly my my fun is playing video games mm -hmm. uh, like I mentioned this before you know I've been playing since ColecoVision my first game was Donkey Kong or ColecoVision, and I have 
been passionate about it ever since. So when I have free time, I love to play. And so right now I'm trying to get through Gears 5. Mm -hmm. I plan on picking up Borderlands 3 and playing it afterwards. And then I'm always, always, always playing some sort of Animal Crossing game because I am obsessed with that franchise. In fact, when I was at Nintendo, everyone knew my love for this franchise. And so whatever Miiverse needed uh, to use some gameplay or whatnot, they would always ask me for my cartridge. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to find some uh, Miiverse videos online, like Happy Birthday, Isabel, where they use my town and say, like, hello, Mayor Kathy Kay, um, because I just love that franchise. Uh, I've always been a diehard gamer. Uh, my youngest son, his middle name is Marcus, named after Marcus Phoenix, because I love Gears of War. Um, but truly, if I have free time, that's what I'm doing. I also, there are a bunch of shows that I'm, I'm watching. I'm, I'm starting to pick up season four of Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. Excellent up show. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, watching it really should. Um, I'll watch anything Marvel, because I'm a Marvel fanatic. Uh, I've been reading comic books since seventh grade. Um, preferably Marvel. Sorry, DC. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I love... I love to organize. Marie Kondo is my god. Uh, I love, you know, making sure things are in their proper place and organized. Uh, so, yeah, I'm the friend you call when you need to move or you need to be cluttered. <laughs> and I, too, love that. <laughs> uh, you know, to, to, to touch on what you're saying about uh, loving Marvel, same here. I'm a Marvel fan. And I, you know, when it comes to DC, it's completely off topic, but... When it comes to DC, I feel like if they really wanted to capitalize on the movies, they had every opportunity to do it with the Dark Knight trilogy. They could have, they could have built off of that. I mean, Marvel is now the template for yeah. how they handle comic book franchises. I mean, they've done an excellent job over these last ten years. You know, Endgame was phenomenal. I, I really feel like they can redeem themselves with a proper X Men. Series of don't get me even started on what we've already seen because I have issues with all of them. Um, but I think that you know we'll, we'll see a second coming for Marvel movies, especially with X Men and what they've announced so far with uh, their next lineup. Yeah, yeah, excited. <laughs> so um, you know, winding down to the last two uh, questions that we have. Um, what advice would you give to the audience here? They're either looking to get into the games industry or are looking to work with the games industry as a content creator. So with regards to getting into the game industry, and this is what I started out with at the beginning of this podcast, is there is much more out there than just mm-hmm. game development. And to really take the time to explore what those options are. And the best way to do that is find those publishers that you are passionate about go to their website, look at their career section, and see what those openings are. That way you can see what what those options are, whether it's an analyst, PR, advertising. Um, There's even, you know, forecasting for retail products, um, you know, e-commerce, you know, Capcom has their store. Um, Mm -hmm. There's such a wide variety of opportunities out there. Get familiar with them. And then once you have sort of an idea of what you want, don't be afraid to reach out and try and get some mentorship or some advice from someone who's already established in that field. 
I'm telling you, I for the last couple of years, <clears throat> one of the nicest things that I've enjoyed doing is mentoring people, um, sharing with them my experiences, whether it be at Amazon, Nintendo, or Capcom, and then helping them, you know, figure out how to navigate the industry so that they can find people who can mentor them in that particular field. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's more out there. Keep looking and align yourself with those publishers. If you want. Awesome. Awesome. And is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with before we go? That this industry is really a lot of fun. There's a lot of competition to get into it. Um, especially, you know, eSports has blown up and you know, it's one of the most popular um, act, uh, activities out there. Um, so as you are getting into the industry or thinking about getting into the industry, please remember that your reputation is everything. Conduct yourself professionally. Always put your best foot forward. Somebody is always watching. Awesome. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned this the last time. As I was getting through my professional career, mm -hmm. my reputation is what got me through the door. When I, when I was thinking about leaving Buy.com, it's Amazon that called me and said, hey, I've heard that you are you know, very well connected. You're really good at the, your job. We are looking for a video game category manager. Would you consider interviewing? That's how I got that opportunity. They heard about me. Mm -hmm. Then went to Nintendo, same thing. They reached out to me and said, hey, you've been great on our account. We've enjoyed working with you. We have this, this uh, opportunity that could be a really good fit. Luckily, that happened because I never would have had the experience of launching the Nintendo eShop mm -hmm. had I not had that opportunity. Um, and that was an experience in itself. I really enjoyed that. That was a fun time. Um, but then again, when I went to Capcom, you know, they I had a, uh, an opportunity to work on the team currently that I'm at because I know I've known my VP since my time at Amazon. She mm -hmm. remembered me. My reputation was solid with her, and that got my foot in the door. So it's been it's it's been very very important to have a good reputation. Awesome, awesome, and. Um... I lied. I have one last question for you, but you probably know what this question is. <laughs> Did you have fun? I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And I thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, it's, it's been an amazing 20 years for me, and I really enjoy, like, I've gotten to do things that most people probably are not aware of. You know, I, you know, I was one of five people on a team to launch US Video Games for Amazon.com. I was mm -hmm. part of team to watch the Nintendo eShop for Nintendo on 3DS and Wii U. You know, I got the opportunity to, you know, manage and write a strategy and marketing plan for Nintendo 3DS and, and get their foot in the door for e-commerce. It's been amazing. And then obviously working for Capcom, you know, I've had the opportunity to grow and learn a new side of the business on a team that I'm absolutely enjoying working with. It's been a fun ride. I can't, I can't complain. And having an opportunity to, to tell these stories on your podcast, I'm very humble. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. And you're, you're more than welcome to come back on the show anytime you want. Hey, uh, anytime you want to hear some fun stories, I'm, I'm happy to give. I'm happy to give them. 
Awesome, awesome, awesome. And show people again where they can find you. <laughs> Any, whatever social media platform people prefer, please feel free to reach out. Happy I, to have a I, I, I need to do that. <laughs> I, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to be like, hey, you can find me here. No, you know what? Because that's, that's really brilliant. It's really brilliant. It's like, it's like the, like having a business card. It's like, hey, boom, there you go. It's memorable because you don't see people do that. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, with my marketing background, I'm like, that is genius. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to worry about misspellings. They didn't hear you or you know, some people have hyphens and periods in their sign-ons and it's like, what? And so they can freeze frame and write it down. Yep. And uh, with that being said, people, I'm going to leave links to all of Kathy's social media down below. And uh, you'll be able to catch this episode of the Cast Nova Podcast on all podcasting outlets, which includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and SiriusXM. That being said, people, this is Kathy and Mikhail. We are signing out. Have a good one. Hey, did you enjoy this episode of the Casanova Podcast? Well, I'm sure you did. And since you did and you're wondering where else you can find it, you can find it on every podcasting outlet. Yes, it includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Launchpad DM by Podcast One, and so much more. And the only thing I ask of you is if you truly enjoyed it, even if you didn't enjoy it, please leave a rating and tell us what you thought of it, what you like, what you didn't like, and everything in between. And also, if you're looking for video formats of this podcast and many more, you'll be able to find them on youtube.com slash Casanova as well as on twitch.tv slash Casanova and new episodes every single Monday morning, 8 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. So, that being said, this is Mikhail Casanova, Hawaii's favorite YouTuber. I am signing out. You guys have a great one.